This week on the Sport Blokes. This week in our 2023 NBA Draft episode, we enlist the expertise of General Manager of the NBL Next Stars, Liam Santamaria, voice of the NBA and NBL Top 10 Plays, Bo Estes, and former NBL legends, Casey Frank and Alex Loughton. Let's go. It's 7.30pm on Wednesday, the 20th of September, 2023. If you're listening... Yes, that was a little while ago. This is a very special episode. We've got a whole bunch of different clips to play you this week. So don't worry that the date is a little bit earlier than when we release. If you're not listening, then how the fuck are you hearing you're this? Good point. That's what I want to know. You're better than us. Illuminati. Yep. <laughs> anyway, again, as always, we do the timestamp just in case anything happens between now and when we release. Anyway, greetings to you wherever you happen to be and whether you're a regular listener, a first timer who's listening because of this week's content and guests or anything in between. Thank you for joining us and a very special thank you as always to those of you who like and subscribe. Today we kick off, or should I say tip off, the first of two very guest heavy basketball episodes over the next fortnight, which was initially planned to be an episode on reflection of the NBA draft after a number of interviews we conducted in the lead up to it. But given that it wasn't quite as big in the end and some scheduling issues got in the way a little bit for us not long after it was held, we decided to sit on this interview audio for a while and pivoted to make it a bit more of a pseudo NBL preview with a focus on NBL Next Stars and NBA prospects. So today we'll be talking about the recent draftees Ryan Rupert and to a lesser extent Mojave King, and then also Travers and Besson from the 2022 draft, and then some names to look at prior to the 2024 draft. But as we've already alluded to, you don't need to just take our word for it as fans, and we are big fans, but just like episode 107 last year, we've managed to gather some terrific experts for this episode, again totaling nearly 500 NBL games experience, tons of international playing experience, and I'm not exaggerating when I say thousands upon thousands of hours of broadcasting experience too. If you're new and you don't know us, my name is Nathan, and I'm riding shotgun with my partner in crime, Stewie, as always. How are you, mate? Oh, look, vertical. Well, somewhat vertical. I suppose sitting down is not really vertical, but look, I'm well. I'm certainly as close to 100% as I can be right now. So yeah, can't complain. As usual, a ridiculously stupid answer from me. That's, well, again, if people haven't heard us before, this is an insight into your ridiculously stupid personality. Yes, he's a freaking maniac. (laughs) So a quick reminder on our guest this time, Stewie. How are you? Oh yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. That's another thing about me that people who are new to this won't realise just yet. I'm also a bit rude. No, you're fine. I tend to ask people how they are when I shoot. <laughs> it's anyway. like, there you go. I've never thought of that. There you go. Anyway, quick reminder on our guest this time, Shui. Yeah, so I guess we start off with Liam Santamaria. He had a, a fairly short career in the NBL, but he started a very, very strong journalistic career as one of the absolute stalwarts of NBL media. He's done extensive work commentating games, been a panel member of NBL Overtime, host the Huddle, More recently, he's become the general manager of the Next Stars program, which has previously yielded the likes of Josh Giddy, LaMelo Ball. So listening to his full episode is an absolute must for anyone that wants to know more about the NBL Next Stars. That's episode 153. Next, we have some audio that goes back a little bit further from episode 128. And the man affectionately known as the Goat Mentator, NBA Bo Bo Estes. You may know him best from NBA.com or the NBL's Top 10 Plays but he's also got over 25 years of broadcasting experience, including starting behind the scenes on TNTs inside the NBA. He's also a key figure in Sports Business Classroom, which gives hands-on teaching out of the NBA Summer League every year, this year being no different. The best thing about him I always found was that when he was sort of getting to the height of popularity, going through the comments, anytime an NBA Top 10 plays would come out, going through the, the comments, the first thing you would see is, Goat Mentator's on! <laughs> or the flip side would be people going, oh, God, it's boring Mentator. <laughs> That's so like mean that. to the others. I know, right? The others were just doing the absolute best they could, but Bo was just... Bo is just an absolute yeah, legend. Head and shoulders. Absolute, absolute. Next, we have New Zealand's own Casey Frank, former Arizona Lumberjack, two-time All Big Sky, and played internationally in a number of countries before settling in New Zealand, where he played with the Breakers, as well as four other NBL teams, we should mention. 122 games of NBL experience, so nothing to sneeze at, that is for sure. Four-time NZ NBL champion, named one of the 40 greatest NZ NBL players of all time. Also playing 40 FIBA games for his adopted country. He now does terrific work in basketball media across several platforms, including commentating the Breakers games for Sky Sports. Very, very entertaining. One of the best. Absolutely love him. And he's also done radio work for SEN. 
given the breakers success with next stars and international players as someone based in New Zealand, seeing these guys up close and personal, we felt that his insights would be invaluable. And I'll tell you what, they, they sure were, weren't they? No? They certainly were. And there's more from him in episode 152, but all the draft stuff's in this one. And then last, but definitely not least, is our other guest and greatest friend of the show, Alex Loughton, who's graciously appeared several times on the Sport Blokes in episodes 38, 53, 103, 107, 132, and then more recently in episodes 154 and 155, where he had a very interesting story about Luke Longley and an exploding golf ball. Jeez, we're going to have to get him a t-shirt or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to get him something, a Christmas present, if nothing else, a real one and not yes. one of those fake ones we do. He started all but four of his 104 games at Old Dominion University between 2002 and 2006 with a college career high of what, Stewie? 45. 45 is correct. He's played internationally in Spain, competed for the Orlando Magic at the Summer League, represented our country for the Australian Boomers, and after playing 311 games across 13 seasons in the NBL here for the Perth Wildcats and the Cairns Taipans, has done extensive work broadcasting for the NBL. Be sure to also check out Loughton 40 Hoops, his coaching clinics. A massive thank you to all of these fine gentlemen once again. This episode would be absolutely nothing without you and we really appreciate your contributions and insights. Now, Nath, I know last year we basically promised 100% new content. We intentionally arranged these interviews kind of around the draft time so that we can keep some audio up our sleeves for this kind of episode. This time there will be a little bit of an overlap. There'll be some clips our regular listeners might have heard before, but I reckon at least 80% of it's new. So you know, maybe even a little bit more than that. Yeah, most of this content is new. There is a bit of overlap, as you say, but I think whether you're a new listener or an old listener, you should get a kick out of this episode. So to start things off, last year, we gave a bit of a background on the league and Next Stars in particular. But this year, who better to do it than former player and the GM of the NBL Next Stars himself, Liam Santamaria? Essentially, it's set up to provide an alternative pathway for guys that are on their way to the NBA draft. So young Australian players like Josh Giddy, young American players like LaMelo Ball or RJ Hampton or other players in that similar type of position from around the world. Like we've seen in the last couple of years with guys like Usman Jiang, Rayan Rupert this year is a projected first round pick. So the idea is to come into the NBL, play a year, maybe two, and use that as an opportunity to grow your game, have an unbelievable life experience, elevate your draft stock and get yourself ready for a long and hopefully successful NBA career. So that's what the program essentially is set up to do. It began, I think, as a seed of an idea following the experience of Terrence Ferguson in the league in the 2016-17 season for the Adelaide 36ers. So shout out Joey Wright because he had the foresight to say, you know what, this is exciting. I'm going to use an import spot on this guy coming out of high school who's looking to go pro and is a projected first round pick. And I think this could be great for our league and for our club. And I think he's going to help us win games as well. And they were genuine championship contenders and Ferguson played an important role on that team. The preseason tournament, the Blitz that year of 2016 was in Brisbane and it was swarming with NBA scouts. NBA scouts, NBA front office executives, GMs, assistant GMs. And it was, you know, it was a real exciting buzz. And the flow on effect from that was that Tory Craig got opportunities from guys coming to the league and watching Terrence Ferguson and the exposure of the league over into the States, you know, really grew that year. So then that was essentially the kind of inspiration for the idea of the Next Stars program. I know agent Daniel Moldovan from Octagon was important in this process and he had conversations with Larry Kesterman and Jeremy Lowliger. And from that was born the idea of the league having an involvement in setting up this program. So the NBA will add an extra roster spot. Teams can utilize the program to have an extra player. The league will pay the salary and we'll kind of go from there. So that first year, Brian Bowen came into the Next Stars program, played for Andrew Gaze and the Sydney Kings, went on to be a two-way guy for the Indiana Pacers. And then the following year, of course, it just exploded with the arrival of LaMelo Ball and, and RJ Hampton. And LaMelo firing from a projected second round pick to becoming the third pick of the draft just caused massive waves across global basketball and really forced the NBA to have to pivot. You know, all of a sudden they created the G League Ignite. Other programs like Overtime Elite 
started sprouting up to explore this type of element of the industry. And the Nextars program has kind of pivoted a little bit here and there in terms of focusing on some European guys. Josh Giddy was a super successful Nextar throughout his time here as well. So that's, I guess, the history of the kind of guys that have come through the program. And now I'm involved working hand in hand with the commissioner, Jeremy Lowliger, on recruiting, liaising with our clubs and essentially um, kind of driving the program forward. Right now, we have three next stars that are out there in the public domain for this upcoming season. Ariel Hookporty and AJ Johnson, Alexander Saar. We're in ongoing conversations with other guys from around the world right now. And there's been a lot of going through that process with a lot of elite prospects along that journey as well that won't become next stars, won't, at least not for this season, but we've established really strong relationships with and we've kind of been through that recruiting process with in a big way. If it's the right type of talent and prospect in the right situation, great, let's go. And if that means that we have three or four or five or six or 10, terrific. But we always say like, well, we're not interested in trying to kind of fit a square peg into a round hole. So we're not looking for a certain number if it means it's it's not the right fit. It's not a good situation the player may not be the right fit for the league or for that team. The team might not be the right fit for that player. And so in that case, it's better to have nine rather than 10, if that makes sense. Well, we've found for certainly it's been a proven pathway for American prospects, Aussie prospects like Josh Giddy, But yeah, it has been particularly kind of attractive for Europeans as well, because the European game that the pro level, I mean, it's tough. It's really competitive. It's hard to find opportunities to play at really high levels as a young talent. And it's also it's also kind of slow. The pace of play in, in Europe is much slower than what it is here. And it's certainly a whole lot slower than what it is in the NBA system, in the NBA and in the G League. And what we find the NBL is, is a really cool hybrid between the FIBA game and the international game where the court's a little smaller, there's no defensive three seconds, and maybe the defense is played on a nightly basis at a bit of a higher level, and the pace and free-flowing style that you might find in the States, that you experience coming through high school or you might find it in the NBA and, and in the G League. So it's a cool kind of hybrid in that regard. So players that are looking to kind of spread their wings a little bit from the bump and grind of the European game, play some more possessions, play in a little bit of an open sort of floor, play a little bit of a faster style, look at the NBL and say, hey, this could be a really good opportunity for me. And, and then the other thing that happens is guys talk to each other. You know, Usman Jiang played with Rayan Repair on junior national teams. Uh, Rayan Repair played with Alexander Saar in the under 17 World Cup last year. So these guys talk, they message each other, hey, what was your experience like in the NBL? And as a result of them having terrific experiences and it being great for their game and their careers, other guys are keen to jump on board. And not just in the capacity of kind of like guys performing well in those games and as a result winning opportunities and summer league opportunities or NBA contracts, but just the regard for the league that has grown as a result of our participation and competitiveness in those games, people notice. People notice and they say, man, that is a tough league. That's a good league. High-level players, really well coached. It's why they want to play our teams in preseason. And it's why they want to recruit our players across uh, either draft them or, or sign them as free agents in the case of guys like Landale and, and Xavier Cooks and the like. So. I think you add in the Next Stars program and the style of play that we have here and the initiative of playing those NBL, NBA preseason games, it all adds up to, I think, a really exciting element of the league. And that is that it has become a proven pathway to get to the bright lights of the association. And, you know, some people say, well, we shouldn't be trying to develop our guys just to be sent to the NBA. We should be trying to keep our guys here. The reality is you can't hide from the fact that that's the best league. That's the biggest money. And it's where, as a baller, you should be trying to play. So I think kind of structuring our league and positioning our league is a great place for you to play, to develop your career, to be the best it possibly can be, I think is a smart play and has been really successful. 
Liam touched on several things there. It's just a taste of a much larger interview about the NBL and the Next Stars program. So as we said earlier, we'd strongly encourage you to go back and listen to the full interview with him in episode 153, if you haven't already. Now, before we look at the French connection and one team that's integrated Next Stars into their team very successfully over a number of years, here's some of Bo Estes on the attraction of Australia, New Zealand and the NBL and how some players just never leave. It may be Andrew Bogut who's mentioned it, but some other folks have mentioned it as well. There's an easy cultural transition with the shared language. It seems like a lot of wonderful weather down there. So it just seems like a great bright landing spot for people. And even if the pay isn't NBA level pay, I mean, it's still a pretty good wage. Uh, and it seems like a great place to sort of make a life for yourself. I, I started thinking about Bryce Cotton and a couple of other folks the other day. And like, when they retire, they live their life down there, right? Some of them do. So it's a place where you can really set up roots and feel comfortable and feel at home. So I know that everybody wants to be in the NBA and stuff like that. I'm My only point in saying this is I just don't think it has to be the end-all be-all for everybody. I don't think it's perfect for everybody. And even going back to what I was saying about Chris Golding, Chris Golding, particularly a couple of years ago, was better than a lot of NBA players. Not a few, a lot. But the way that they put rosters together and the way that they scout players didn't fit for him. And let's say the same thing for Bryce Cotton. I don't know that they could get Bryce Cotton now. They probably could. They could probably throw enough money at him if they wanted to. But I just don't think that the way the NBA works is going to work for every player. But the other side of that is I don't think that what is it's 450 players roughly in the NBA. I don't think if you were to rank all the players in the world, I don't think one through 450 are in the NBA. I think there are better players around the world than maybe some of the last 50, 100 players in the NBA. Now, when it comes to a French connection, Casey Frank has seen a lot of them up close and personal. He commentates for the Breakers, and there have been a ton of them. In discussing a number of blokes, Casey also spoke about the toughness of the league. This kicks off our discussion of Ryan Repair, but Casey spoke very holistically, reflecting on the performance of Jiang and RJ Hampton as well. I think Osman Jang and Rupert obviously have been two of, I think, the more successful playing-wise. RJ Hampton was interesting. that I really think he was such a talented player. You know, when he came over and I first saw him and LaMelo play against each other, the athleticism of Hampton was such next level. I thought he was going to be a better prospect, which uh, shows you why I'm not a professional scout. (laughs) (laughs) He was really a talented player, you know. I think his athleticism was high-level NBA which is why he was able to thrive over here. And they really let him have a long leash, which is why he was able to contribute to the team as much as he was. But I think it seems that it's a little bit easier to have guys contribute to winning when they're playing off the ball, when they don't have to make those decisions. They don't have to deal with that pressure uh, of dealing with this level of professional defense from men for maybe the first time in their careers. Jang was really talented. Got to see him a couple times here in New Zealand. That length was just otherworldly. But Rupert was uh, the guy I got to see a, a bit more of with his dedication to defense. The team doesn't say enough great things about him, and it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up. I think he came out a little bit shorter at the combine than was initially thought. I think they listed him at six eight here. He's underneath six six and a half. I think he tested it somewhere around there in terms of height without shoes, but he was plus eight on the wingspan. So I think seven three in the wingspan. So that's that, that's a pretty impressive length to to actually have measured correctly. It is interesting that you mentioned Dieng, that there were a few similarities, like maybe not so much the height, but in their game, I guess, it kind of felt like they were maybe complementary pieces to the main roster. And obviously, Will McDowell-White and the great trio of imports that you guys had, it did kind of seem like he was maybe a secondary piece. And Dieng was kind of similar for the first half of that season anyway. And then he, I guess, started balling out a little bit more as Besson kind of regressed a little bit. You've obviously mentioned the defense. What sort of player do you see these guys actually getting when they draft repair though? Like, does he have much in the way of an offensive upside or is it purely the defense? And a lot of people think he's an even better prospect than Dieng. And Dieng had a near triple-double against Memphis late in the season. So he's going all right for OKC as well. I think, uh, you know, when you see him up close, Rupert looked like a smoother athlete. Uh, things came a little bit more easily to him. The length of Jang was was otherworldly. He looked like he could really develop offensively. And, and you do mention how they look, they, they're secondary pieces. Uh, I think it's easier to shine in this league as a finisher at that age. Uh, I think even you look at what, you know, the, the difference between what Luke Travers was asked to do and when he sort of came onto the scene in, in last season where he had the ball in hand a little bit more. It's just a little bit more difficult. When you're trying to be a creator, you know, and you just don't have that strength to power through defenders yet. 
you haven't sort of developed it with all that time on the court. You know, Rupert as a next level guy, obviously defense was really impressive. His ability on the ball and to make people turn and, and pick pockets without getting his body out of position was what first caught my eye from the first time I saw him. But offensively, he got so much smoother and he lost a bit of a hitch and shot as the season went along, was confident shooting that three to the point where, you know, he came out in the grand final and was really influential in that Breakers initial victory in Sydney, where he just really shot the lights out early and showed himself a lot of resilience in terms of character uh, coming back from that injury as well. So all that stuff points to me that he's a guy who's going to work hard on that offensive game and reach a level that would I would be really surprised if it didn't become competent as a catch-and-shoot guy with an ability to streak because of his athleticism and length to get to the cup on those on those drives to the hole. He was very self-deprecating there about not being a scout, but Casey gave us some really great insights. Now, poor Ryan Rupert had a bit of a Rashad Lewis situation being stuck in the green room waiting for his name to be called. After being projected as high as nine, Rupert had to wait until the second round where he was picked 43 overall. Bit of a steal in my opinion. Cross, I'll tell you what, yeah, if Rupert has even close to the career that Rashad Lewis had, he'll be doing okay. (laughs) He sure will. He sure will. We'll share some of our thoughts in a moment, but first, more experts. Liam Santamaria concentrated on Rupert's defensive abilities. I think he has the potential to become a defensive juggernaut, to be honest. I mean, he, he has incredible physical tools in that regard, like the wingspan, the height and the length, the athleticism that you talk about. But he also has just a desire to defend and a love for defending and super quick hands, great instincts. And I think as he gets bigger and stronger and kind of continues to develop his skills in that regard, like I think he has the potential to be a real stopper on a championship level team at the NBA level. That's over the course of the long term. Because, you know, certainly it's going to take a little while to get to that point. But I think that's the really intriguing element that the uh, NBA talent evaluators are looking at right now with Rayan is to say, all right, well, man, we look at all the the upside that exists in some of these guys. The upside for him defensively is sky high. The offensive game has grown and continues to grow. We saw in the preseason, man, how how well he shot the ball. I mean, he was on fire to begin his time with New Zealand. And, you know, he, he I thought he had the setback with the, the elbow injury or the the wrist injury it was. Came back strongly. And um, we saw he had some games there where he was really on the attack, you know, showed his ability to kind of get downhill, get to the bucket, get to the free throw line. When he's knocking down the jumper at a consistent rate, I think he becomes a really impactful guy on the floor, especially with what he can do defensively. So, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I mean, coming into Josh Giddy's draft, the projections were all over the, the place as well, weren't they? And then all of a sudden, one team just went, you know what? We see it. We see what he did in that really tough league in Australia, and we think that can translate. And they were bang on the thunder when they took him at number six. And the projections were similar for Usman Jiang. And then, yeah, he was one step out of being a top 10 pick. So it's going to be fascinating to see how it goes with Rayan, whether whether he slides a little and lands, you know, a little bit later in that first round or early in the second, or or whether a team somewhere in the teens there says, nah, you know what, we're gonna snap him up. We've got the time on our side to grow with him and develop him. And they see the upside that we see and the New Zealand breakers saw when they worked with him last season. Alex Loudon also focused on repairs abilities, but relative to his competition in the NBL. Repair, he's got a crazy handle on him. And then you see for New Zealand, like him growing last season, growing into that kind of aggressive mindset. That's the kind of frame that the NBA are looking at, that long, wiry, with a good handle. I think he's actually got some game. And when he knocked down a couple of trays on Mitch Creek and Creek sort of eyebrows raised, that's when you know that he's probably going places. You know, we've seen the similar sort of thing when, uh, Lamelo Ball is taking it to players. Um, you know, we see the same thing when Josh Giddy's taking the players. You kind of go, oh, he's a bit lean for the NBL, and you know, he's, uh, he's a bit raw. But those kind of taller guards with the handle, obviously, he's a bit taller than that. But those players, what you think, eh, maybe, maybe not. The NBA know exactly what they're looking for, and it's such a niche market over there. So yeah, I think it'll be able to go really well in in round one. Thoughts on Rupert, Stewie? He might get a bit of an early opportunity on that young Portland team. Yeah, I mean, we talk quite a lot in the NBA about fit and situation and guys, I guess, who 
feel like they've got a really big upside but end up sitting at the end of a bench because a coach maybe doesn't like playing rookies or that sort of thing. But I do feel like that Portland situation could be great. I mean, God knows what's going to happen with Damian Lillard. We're still waiting to hear. There's a lot of stuff going on Twitter at the moment. I'm not going to call it X. I refuse to do yeah, that. Yeah, no, we've made that clear in our uh, show before. But if there's the real sort of pushback and Portland don't get what they want for him and they refuse to trade him, who knows what will happen there. So I, I don't know. I guess a lot of it could come down to the situation that he finds himself in with that roster. But yeah, look, I, I like him. And Chauncey Billups does like defensive-minded players. So hopefully he'll do well. Yeah, and I think once the draft had happened and stuff, it makes sense for Portland to hold on to Lillard for longer to get the best deal they can. So I'm not expecting a deal prior to the start of the season anyway myself. Mm. But so look, when you look at the numbers, they don't jump off the page. Six and a half points, two and a half rebounds, an assist and a steal in 20 minutes. But it was a stacked New Zealand team that went all the way to the grand final and maybe actually should have won it all. And he actually played really well in one of those grand final games too. And he was definitely a contributor on that team. So I think you can't just look at the stats only. He's also a very young man, of course. I think he could be potentially as good as Dieng, which is the obvious comparison. Yeah, I mean, a lot of similarities there, obviously. I think the other interesting thing to remember as well is if you look at someone like RJ Hampton, who played in New Zealand previously... I mean, his numbers, 2019-20, 8.5, just under 9 points a game, 2.5 assists, just under 4 rebounds. So again, numbers that don't really kind of jump off the page at you, 40% field goal shooting as well. So not amazing stats, but he's carved out a pretty decent career for himself in the NBA. And, you know, I, I guess if Rupert can do something similar, he'd be pretty happy. Oh, and I, I think Rupert will definitely be a better player. I don't know about you, but for example, so I mentioned those finals. Didn't play a hell of a lot of time, but he did give them some really good minutes in game three where he had 10 points. So look, our experts have said it all already. He's a defensive beast. He actually reminds me of DeJounte Murray a little bit, just in the way he looks. He's like a mix between DeJounte Murray and Ricky Grace, the way he looks a little bit. But his game obviously doesn't mirror Murray's because he's not a point guard. But I think in order for him to have success in the NBA, I think he, he probably needs to add a little bit of playmaking to his bow. I think that would really help. He's got great length, good athleticism, so, yeah, if he can be more of a playmaker or if he can make himself a real elite three-point shooter, I think he could be a very, very good role player in the NBA. He's an upside guy. Definitely. Basically, that's yeah. that's the shortened version. He is an upside guy. Now, the other Aussie draft pick that came as a bit of a surprise was Mojave King. He went pick 47 to the Lakers. I was very surprised he got drafted. I don't know about you. Oh, look, I think he's one of these guys. Maybe he's kind of starting to mature just a little bit. You know, one of the conversations that we had with Alex Loughton, there was a little bit of concern around, I guess, his work ethic and his attitude and the way that he would sort of maybe not put in quite as much training that he than he probably should be, really. It's funny you say that. I literally re-listened to that today. So that was episode 53. Alex obviously being very close with the Cairns Thai fans, having a lot of intel there. And he said that he wasn't a self-starter. So he said that if he was given the right direction and he was given a bit of a, a kick up the bum, he was great. It was just that he wasn't so much a self-starter. Yeah. So, But that is that was interesting. Again, a couple of years ago, but yeah. And, and it makes sense, I guess, because he's been playing a little bit over in the States. They've probably got a much bigger coaching staff, really, than we can afford over here. So it kind of makes sense that he would... I guess, mature a little bit, get that right direction. And I guess a little bit more of the motivation to do all the right things, you know, coming in, doing the weights, doing all of the, the drills, all of the things that you need to do. I mean, his numbers in Australia were horrific, let's be honest. Well, they were. And he's a little bit older than Rupert, for example. So he's 21. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at his career in Australia, so a couple of seasons, five points a game, not even an assist, not even two rebounds, less than half a steal, 0.2 of a block, and all on 37 38% from the field. So we're not talking particularly good numbers. Now, he went to the G League Ignite, which maybe suits him a little bit more. We've often said that Luke Travers, we thought that that would have been a good move for him because of his skill set, because they athletic and have some of the things that you can't teach, length, decent length. So he played 30 games over there for G League Ignite, starting eight and averaged eight points, nearly five rebounds, and an assist in 25 minutes. So, I look, I'll be honest, I was surprised that he was picked. I've never been someone who thought that he was a legit NBA prospect, but maybe the Lakers swung for the fences here a little bit and could pay off. Yeah, again, right situation. That's, that's kind of what you're looking for. Find that situation that suits you best and suits your game plan best, and I, I guess surround yourself with, when healthy, probably two of the top 10 players on the planet. 
That's right. Well, if he gets that far, they certainly won't let him have bad work ethic. That's for sure. It, it doesn't hurt. Now, we move from the 2023 draft back to the 2022 draft. While pick 11, Usman Deng, had a very handy first season in OKC, picks number 54 and 58, Luke Travers and Hugo Besson, respectively, were draft and stash candidates, and Luke Travers has moved to the other side of the country to join Dean Vickerman's Melbourne United. First, though, the experts. NBA Bo focused on Luke Travers' Swiss Army knife-like abilities and what he can bring to the table after seeing him up close and personal at the NBA Summer League. We did want to talk just a little bit, I guess, about Luke Travers. Do you? I see- saw him in Las Vegas. Oh, you did, you did get to see Oh, great. So yeah. what have yeah. you made of his game, and do you think his game translates to the NBA? I do. First of all, just, just full stop, I do think he has NBA talent. So what I was seeing with Luke this year is some growing pains. Clearly, he's gotten feedback from the Cleveland Cavaliers to address areas of his game that may be deemed a weakness. So it gets a player uncomfortable to try to improve those areas. I mean, obviously, his three-point shot is an area where he is not elite, but he's taking more of those shots and doesn't have the results all the time because he's not yet an elite three-point shooter. But I think he has a unique athleticism. He has a unique talent to do so many different things on a basketball court. I mean, he's a wonderful defender to begin with. When I first, this is going to sound weird. I, when I first started seeing him play, the player he sort of reminded me of was Andre Kirilenko. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. No, there's yeah. been those. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I probably tweeted that out two years ago. Did I see an Andre Kirilenko there? He does a lot of things that contribute to a team and he does them at a high enough level. He is not ever to me going to be a 35 point a game score. He's just not a 30 point a game score, but I think he can get better. And I think the thing is he has those physical tools. He's just a wonderful athlete. He really is. And you can see that even in summer league, that this is a particularly athletic guy. I want to see him honestly push it more. I really do, especially like when I was seeing Bryce struggle with the workload, I wanted to see Luke Travers take more chances, and maybe he did in fairness to him, and it just wasn't successful. But to me, what I see with him is when he goes out of his comfort zone, you see the growing pains. In his comfort zone, which is defense, which is ball handling, which is passing, I think you see a player with a lot of talent. And with the size and the frame and the mentality he has, He's got a bright future. The one thing I would also say is I wonder how he is mentally right now because he's always been ahead of the timeline, right? This is a guy that's really talented and really going places early. And maybe this year is the first time that he has not had just ahead of the curve results. And fans are like, why isn't he performing even better? Why isn't he making the next leap? I do think he will. I just think he's just so talented that it's almost impossible that he doesn't. But I think it takes time. And I think with a player like this, there's going to be some growing pains. I hope to see him in Summer League again this year out in Vegas. I remember sitting out there and literally taking the time to sit down and watch him from the front row play at basketball against NBA players, or at least NBA Summer League players. He fit right in out there. He was fine. So he's got the talent. He's got the physical ability. And he's a really smart, heady player that plays defense. So he'll be fine. Meanwhile, Alex Loughton focused on what Luke needs to improve on. Then you'll hear from Casey Frank. It's an interesting one. Obviously, yeah, drafted, locked away. Did he really reach the the upper echelon of where he needs to be? Like he's kind of, I don't know if he's plateaued a bit in that regard, but super handy 6'8", athletic guy. He's going to have to keep evolving. I don't know which way he goes, but he's going to have to figure it out. Like he can't just keep coasting with the same sort of skill set. He's either going to have to be a super good lockdown defender and show some aggression at that end, more than just the odd block here and there. But yeah, he's going to have to refine and polish his game to uh, be noticed a bit more. For, For me, it was great first year. The second year was not as crazy, but now he's changing to Melbourne to try his luck somewhere else, maybe a team that wants him more. But yeah, I think the risk of being sort of pigeonholed in the NBL as a handy tall three or tall two guard, you've got to constantly evolve. Otherwise, you're going to get left behind uh, by the next up and coming good thing. Luke Travers, uh, you know, obviously he's got the frame and the athleticism. And I think the, the intangibles that NBA teams are absolutely looking for in depth on the wing. And when you've got that kind of size, 
and elite length to go with really good athleticism. You can defend a lot of positions. That's a great thing to see. And it's tough for a young player coming up because development isn't always linear. You see a guy average a certain thing next year and do certain things, and you think, oh, well, automatically he'll bump up and go to that next level next year. I could see how, you know, you talk about going joining a, a stacked Melbourne United team. It's always a stacked team when Bryce Cotton's playing for it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and maybe maybe he saw himself uh, getting a little bit more of an offensive chance with the ball in hand to do these things that perhaps he thinks he needs to get better at when he goes to Melbourne. Always interested to see what United pulls together. They always start with a lot of talent and then they have to figure out how that talent melds together. Will he have more of an opportunity to shine over there? If that's obviously every basketball player at that age's goal, who's on that cusp of making that level, it's his goal to get to that level. So it's got to be a decision that he thinks is going to give him the best chance to get to that ultimate stage. And uh, I'm just hopeful for him that it, it turns out well, because it's always great to see guys compete from here and get to that that stage. It's a, it's a great journey to follow. The interesting thing about Casey's comments that resonated with me was about progress not necessarily being linear. And this kind of tapped into a little bit of what Bo was saying about his progress. I wonder if our fandom and disappointment in the Wildcats' recent fortunes have perhaps clouded our opinions a little bit, Stewie. I know I've always been a lot higher on him than you have. I've cooled off on him a little bit last season. But as I say, the Casey's comments did really resonate with me. Well, the interesting thing is that, if anything, my opinions of him kind of went up a little bit last year. And it may not have come across that way, but when you consider that Going back a couple of years, he was a guy who was maybe 20, 25% from deep. And we know how important the three ball is in the NBA. And he's a guy who was shooting 40 plus percent basically towards the end of last season. He will get potentially more opportunities over in Melbourne. It looks like some of the numbers from the Blitz have been pretty decent for him as well. Had a very, very handy game tonight. I know he had four steals. I think it was about, I don't know, 19, five and five or something like that. So there is opportunities, I guess, for him over there. And yeah, you're probably right. We probably do have a little bit of a a jaded view right now because of the fact that the Wildcats had struggled the last couple of seasons, but it is what it is. I really think that Vickerman will put him in a place to succeed. And I think that he would be vital to Melbourne's aspirations, just as he was vital to Perth's aspirations when he was here. So funnily enough, he played literally a hundred games exactly, averaging seven points, four and a half boards, two assists, nearly a steal and half a block a game in nearly 20 minutes a game. Now, obviously, that's over a four-year period. If you look at his numbers from last season, they're a bit better. Nearly 10 points a game, nearly six rebounds, three assists, a steal, nearly a block. His shooting percentages in the end were 50 from the field, 40 from three. So as you say, I think as the season wore on, he is maturing. He's still super young, too. He just looked a lot more confident, though, stepping into those threes as well. I think he kind of put himself in slightly better positions given the offenses that were being run. But again, I think with the the Dean Vickerman offense, I'd love to see them put him in a number of different positions. One play, have him be the dunker's position. One play, run the point. One play, sit out in the 45 and let someone drive and dish. There's a number of different options. And again, going back to that Swiss Army knife sort of comparison, he is a guy who can do a lot of things quite well. I think he has a very good shot at making an NBA roster. Obviously, Cleveland are kind of in that playoff picture. And so they're one of the better, they're around the middle of the pack, a little bit higher than the middle. You could say Cleveland rocks. Cleveland rocks. I do think he could become a rotation player in the NBA yeah. though. I do. And I don't know if, I mean, he's he's had a lot of different coaches in his short career already, and he's going to go and have another new one now. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe a little bit of both. Mm. Really fascinated to see how things go. I, I actually think it could go either way. I think that he could see his opportunities limited in Melbourne for a number of reasons. Obviously, Delhi's there at the point guard, but you've seen more of the blitz than me, so maybe the signs are good that he'll get a really good run for them. Oh, look, as I say, I think the big thing with Melbourne... They are certainly a better team than they were last season. They have a lot more talent there, but they do seem to have a few guys that are maybe a little bit more interchangeable. Look, there's every possibility that they do allow, say, Delhi if he's shooting. I mean, the way he's shooting at the Blitz right now, if he's been a bloody sniper, which is something we haven't seen for a long time. So he could play off the ball and Travis playing point forward kind of thing. Yeah, so there's yeah. every possibility that if Golding's not playing, they could potentially run him as, yeah, as that secondary sort of two guard or something. I don't know. There's opportunities and there's options. It's all fun and games. Now, we won't spend long on Besson at all. We haven't followed him much since he left the NBL, but it was interesting to hear Casey Frank's comments on him. First, though, let's play what Alex had to say about him last year. 
might be unpopular opinion, but I almost have my doubts about Besson. I think he was too casual, Cat. I think he was a talent, but I, I just don't think... I think there's a dime a dozen of those guys that are pretty silky offensively without too much like crazy athleticism. I think at his height and in his position, he's going to have to be super athletic. I don't know how much taller Besson will, will get, even though he's got the handle. <laughs> Look at some of those point guards out there. Like the, the guys, um, for instance, Trey at, at Atlanta, like you see how crafty they are, how fast they are. Like Besson's going to have to guard guys like that. He's going to have to guard guys like Lamelo Ball and all those kind of guys. Like I, I just don't quite see the that marrying up. I, I hope he proves me wrong, but I, I just feel like there's guys and the, there's a lot of those guys trying out for the NBA or on the on the fringe of teams in the NBA already that would sort of be chosen ahead of him purely because you got the handles okay well now what's the athletic side of things uh okay it's, it's okay it's not fantastic but we'll see what sort of shakes Basson's not short of confidence as well i spoke to dan shamir before one of the games and he's like shamir's real funny man <laughs> he he goes i tried to uh, i tried to get Basson to look at some plays uh from euroleague stars you know guys you want to emulate and Basson said to me, because coach, I don't need to, I don't need to watch that. I'm, I, I, I just come out here to play. And like, Shamir's <laughs> like, hang on a minute. Like, I'm trying to, trying to add some, some feathers in your cap here. I'm trying to teach you how to be a pro, right? And he's saying, I, got, I need you to look at this superstar who's on probably two or three million in Euroleague. I need you to look at him because I want you to be like him. And Basson's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> wow. And Shamir goes, but you know what? This is this is a young guy, a rookie, telling me I, he doesn't need to see it. He says, "I love that. I love the confidence <laughs> of someone like that." And I'm like, "That's pretty cool." Besson's probably a bit tougher. He's over there being seen by a lot of scouts right now, scouts right now playing with Wembyana, uh, who Barry Brown Jr. just signed with as well. So that's going to be uh, you know you're giving yourself as much of a chance in the spotlight. I don't know if he's going to be able to make it over to that level despite his scoring prowess. Any excuse to play Alex's Dan Shamir impersonation again. Anyways, it seems that Casey shares Alex's views. I, I was quite high on him when he was here in Australia, but it seems that his NBA aspirations may be dwindling a little. And it could well be just the fact that he was the best of a bad bunch that New Zealand team didn't do too well. So I guess maybe that's another thing we're probably looking He had at. a lot of opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Now we'll switch gears and here's the part of the episode where we move to the other crop of players who are currently in our league or recently joined as next stars. I don't think it's controversial to say that in our interviews, Ariel Huckporty drew the most excitement. Let's start with Alex Loughton. He talked about Huckporty's teammates heading into the upcoming season and provided some inside information after his chat with former Melbourne United player and 385-game NBL veteran Dave Barlow. Huck Porty, I'm telling you right now, Huck Porty is an absolute specimen and he is a massive body, a massive frame, and so much stronger than Joe Luella Chul will be able to be. And so obviously JLA's gone away and come back, not had the success he was looking for. So he's come back to the fold. Delavidova obviously keen to run it back with that squad there. But Huck Porty, and this is from Dave Barlow as well. So before the games, I spoke to Dave Barlow and I was doing a bit of the sideline commentary. I was like, what's he like? Or what's, what do you see? Because he's training with him every day. And he's like, he's never seen anybody like Huck Porty, his physique and what his ability is uh, and his skill set. So I think Huck Porty's in for a pretty good year. His ceiling is just, we don't know. We don't know how good he can be. I just know that I think this is probably a year where he overtakes JLA. JLA is very polished. I want him on my team, no questions asked. But Huck Porty's a bigger, stronger, more athletic kind of guy. And I think so much upside. So I'm really excited to see him come back. Now, Liam Santamaria focused more on Huck Porty's speed and athleticism. The question is, how will he come back from the Achilles injury? You mentioned injury kind of affecting Rupert's season. Unfortunately, it derailed Ariel Huck Porty's season completely. And I was a massive fan of his. And I actually thought mm. he could have gone towards the bottom of the lottery, I think, there was Jalen Duran, there was Mark Williams. There were a couple of centres selected around that time, and I actually think he has the potential to be as good as them. I'd be interested to see mm. if you agree with that. Man, did you see him in the Blitz last season before he went down? Beast mode. Oh. Beast mode. Like, he was just a monster out there. So excited for what he was going to do last season before he got hurt. Just 
blocking shots off the backboard down one end. And then uh, I've never seen anyone quicker from rim to rim. Now, Jock Landau was super quick. There's been some bigs across the journey in the NBL that have been great at running that middle cylinder. But I've never seen any quicker from a big man perspective than Ariel Hukporty rim to rim. And he showed that and he was, as I said, blocking shots down one end and throwing down monstrous dunks down the other. And then bam, snapped his Achilles. It was a really horrible thing to happen. And I'm pumped for the comeback. You know, we saw how successful it was at Melbourne United with Jack White working with their high performance team, coming back from the Achilles surgery. And now he's in the NBA doing terrific things. And he came back. They were telling me as he was coming back, Liam, like Jack's come along so well. When he steps back out on the floor, he's going to be quicker, stronger, and more athletic. And I said, no, 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 I've done an Achilles. I'll snap my Achilles. That doesn't, that doesn't happen like that. And amazingly, that is how it played out with Jack White. So I can't wait to see the comeback season from Ariel Hook-Porty. It's going to be interesting. He's going to be sharing that front court with Joe Luar-Lachul again, like he was in his first season at Melbourne United. And that wasn't going to be the case last season. He had a runway to you know an enormous role. How does Dean Vickerman manage that? From a minutes perspective and a role perspective, we saw late in that first season, Ariel was playing so well that he was starting to play both of those guys together because he just didn't want to take Ariel Hookporty off the court. So, yeah, they, they've got a real talent coming back into the lineup this season. And, you know, I, can't, I think maybe some people have forgotten what type of an NBA prospect Ariel can be. And I, I can't wait to see him remind everyone this season. The injury was on everyone's lips, Bo included. Well, I was, I was really tough break for Huck Porty to get injured, right? Because you're getting close to your dream. And then you get a big setback like this. And I'm sure mentally you have to wonder, am I ever going to be the athlete I was again? And the good news is, yes, you probably will be, uh, but it's going to take a mountain of work. For young guys like that, just grouping them together, I think it's a ways away, right? It's not quite there yet, and particularly for Huck Porty. Uh, not as much for repair. You've got you've got a hurdle to overcome, a big hurdle. So young guys in the NBL that I see, like Huck Porty, like Repair, I'm patient with them and I want to see them develop. But I don't know that the NBA has to be the end all be all to them right now. Succeed in the NBL, be very good in the NBL, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So no, obviously no secret that. I think we both kind of like Huck Porty, but what are your overall thoughts on him? I'm a massive fan of Huck Porty, as you've already heard a little bit in the clips we've played so far. I basically became enamored with him early in the Blitz in his first season. There was a play where he blocked a shot at one end, then ran the lane like a gazelle and dunked at the other. And a bit of an obscure reference, some people our age might remember, but it was reminiscent of Sean Kemp. I'm pretty sure it was at the Goodwill Games where he went from one end to the other in about three seconds to throw down a thunderous slam. It was, it just reminded me of that play. And I think he's got tremendous potential. Interestingly, he's not currently projected to be a pick in the next draft on a couple of the boards I've looked at. Now it's really early. He's had injury interruptions recently, which is a real shame because as I said in that clip with Liam, I actually thought he was on par with the Jalen Durans and Mark Williams of the world. Well, and the other thing, I guess, as well, if you consider the previous season, he, he was not buried on the bench, but he kind of had less opportunities because of Joe Lawler-Chul. With JLA going away last season, there would have been the perfect yeah. opportunity. It, yep. He could have showcased everything he had and probably would have dominated the league. Probably would have been a lottery pick. What? It's every possibility. Yeah. Now, JLA's back. He is injured for a while. But, yeah, it's got to be interesting, Melbourne's chemistry. I think Dean Vickerman's... Uh, and he's capable of it. He's often had stacked teams. But I think a lot of his hard work will be getting the rotations right and doing that chemistry, juggling, yeah. All the juggling. Yeah. Yep. Now, I'll be honest, mate, I haven't seen a hell of a lot of the Blitz. I have a feeling you might have seen more than me. And we'll certainly be keeping an eye on these guys throughout the course of the season. If you are a international listener, for example, keep an eye on our episodes. We'll talk about the NBL. We'll focus on these next stars and blokes that have NBA aspirations. So check those timestamps as always. But the other next stars will be AJ Johnson, Alexander Saar, Alex Tui, Mantis Rabstavicius. That'll do. Nice. 
I don't think it's right, but anyway. No, probably not. Ariel, as we've already mentioned, Bobby Clintman, Rocco Zakarski, and Trenton Flowers. Rocco Zakarski is almost our answer to Chet Holmgren, isn't he? Yeah, he had a very scary fall in one of the games, actually. Oh, yeah, okay. he was uh it was he was okay. He got up and kind of wandered off the court. But uh yeah, it's always scary seeing a guy mm. that size and that weight going down. And yes. especially at you know his age as well. He's so young. Yeah, he's only 17, so he'll be draft eligible for several years. Mm. So we might be talking about him in a number of years, depending on how his progress goes. But I had a bit of a look at the kind of draft projections so far. And look, admittedly, they're a little bit all over the place. We're obviously several, nearly a full year away, let's face it, from the next draft. But AJ Johnson, ESPN had him at 16. The Athletic had him at 23. Now, the ESPN one was done in June. That's since been updated because, for example, Giovanni had Alexander Saar at 19 on that one. He's now got him at five. Wow. He's got him at five. The Athletic, Sam Vecini, and great to see all these scouts. I think every single team has sent a scout to the Blitz. They're just swarming with talent evaluators over there at the moment, which is really great. So many eyes on our league. But Sam Vecini had him at eight. And NBA Draft.net has him at 17 currently, but their projection was last done in August. So it has been a little while since then. And you can understand why people aren't updating these lists while a lot of these competitions aren't going. They'll start ramping up again. Bobby Clintman at Cairns. NBA Draft.net had him at nine. Javoni and Wu have him at 25. That was the June one for ESPN, though. Vecini had him at 24. Trenton Flowers, NBA Draft.net had him at 11. You're sceptical of that? Well, I'm sceptical because of the fact that he's not being put in a position to succeed. They're trying to run him as a point guard. He's not a point guard. And apparently Woody was telling us he's never played point guard anywhere in his life. And it shows. Yeah, right. The only thing that I think he sort of got right in terms of the appearance was that he was standing at the top of the (laughs) keyway. Oh, dear. For me, I just looked at that and I thought, there's no way that this guy... I mean, Jason Kaday should be running the point. That's the position that they're in right now, is that he and Mitch McCarron... CJ of, might have to suit up. Well, he, he might have to, honestly. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but your best position to put him in would be a two-guard. Just let him play as the shooting guard and just move on. Like, Stop the experimenting. It's not going to work. We know it's going to be a disastrous season in Adelaide. Just move on from that. Yeah, those 36ers fans might have a difficult year. But great to see another next star there. And great to see so many next stars in the league. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. I, I'm getting a bit too excited about Alexander Saar. I think he is looking great. Yeah, oh, look, honestly, I don't think it's too much to get excited about him from what we've seen. Obviously, the athleticism is there. We know that he's got range all the way out to the three-point line, which is exciting to see from a guy his size. Moves his feet really well, recovers on defense beautifully. We know he can be an elite rim protector and shot blocker. I think he needs to work a little bit on his timing. There was a couple of times when I saw smaller guys bodying him out on drives and things like that. And this is where the NBL is going to be really great for him because it's such a physical league and it's more physical than the G League, as Alex said in one of our previous clips. So I think he's made a really good call in coming to the NBL. I think so, yeah. And look, there's going to be plenty of opportunities in Perth. I mean, we know that there's the opportunity to potentially run those, not, not quite twin towers, but having him and Pinder playing that 4-5 position. Well, and Ollie Hayes-Brown's pissed off to play AFL footy for Richmond. Don't blame him. So the big man stocks in Perth aren't huge. So I think he'll be getting a lot of minutes. Yeah, I think so, definitely. So yeah, he's very, very exciting. Look, I haven't seen much of Illawarra, not enough to really comment on AJ Johnson. Alex Tui's really exciting. Yeah, he's looked good. I see a little bit of Brad Newley in him in terms of, I guess, the way that he positions himself around the basket, the way he finishes in transition, just looks a really polished guy, seems to know where the ball's going to be. So I think Sydney have absolutely picked up a beauty in Alex Tui. The other guys, I mean, look, again, I've seen little bits of New Zealand in terms of highlights. Bobby Clintman's one that I'm really interested in. So I've kind of seen a little bit of... It was like a six-minute documentary where he was kind of talking about his journey to get here. He did a little bit of an interview with Adam Ford, so you get to kind of know a little bit more about him. He seems like an amazing kid. And great to see the NBL actually create a Next Stars website, which is which is really cool too, that people should check out if they haven't already. Yeah. But it's, just, it's really nice to see somebody with that attitude. You know, he's brought his mum over, so you know he's getting looked after, which is really nice for someone at his age to be on the other side of the world but have that there. But what he actually said, he's, he's like, I love the fact that I'm in Cairns because there's not really, you know, a whole heap going on here. So there's not distractions, which means I can focus just on basketball. 
And hearing that attitude from somebody who's that young, I'll tell you what, it holds him in good stead. And you know, he seems to have the skill to back it up. So I guess we'll kind of see. Amen to that. It's funny, a lot of the OKC guys say that a lot of their chemistry and success stems from the fact there isn't a lot to do there. So, <laughs> so again, we haven't seen a hell of a lot of these guys as yet, but we'll be focusing on them very heavily. We might even have a next star segment in every week of our show or NBA prospect segment, or we'll think about this in the coming weeks, but we'll definitely be focusing on it. And I dare say that our equivalent episode next year could be pretty busy. Could be. G'day, Nath here. Just jumping in for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's interesting to see Trenton Flowers' point guard experiment in Adelaide is over nearly as quickly as it began. There was an article on nbl.com.au on the 8th of September that quoted him as saying, I have always been a point guard and that's the position I want to play. But the team has moved away from that. And I'll use some tweets from Jonathan Giovoni from Draft Express to demonstrate perhaps why that has occurred. So firstly, from the 18th of September, he said, rough start to the NBL blitz for Trenton Flowers versus NZ. The seven turnovers in 22 minutes, many of which were of the live ball variety in the backcourt, will be the headline, but the off-ball defense was just as bad. Needs a lot of work, which may take multiple seasons. Now, then we fast forward through to the 22nd, which is yesterday at time of recording for this little clip. He said, best game of the NBL Blitz for Trenton Flowers, looked more comfortable in a more compact role on the wing, and showed some of what makes him interesting with his size, shot-making, and scoring instincts. NBA teams will be monitoring his growth closely the next few seasons. Then next, we bloody forgot to record some bits for a couple of our other clips, didn't we? <laughs> As we finally look at the guys who are a bit more mature and aren't draft eligible, but may have NBA aspirations. First, let's kick off with Bo Estes talking about Kai Soto or Soto. Now, speaking of experiments in Adelaide, he is no longer in the league. And we did wonder whether it was still worth including this clip. But in the end, we did decide that we would. For a couple of reasons, there's a couple of interesting tidbits there. And of course, Bo got to sneak in a Brady Manic reference from his beloved North Carolina Tar Heels as well. Now, there'll be several people here in Perth who have mixed feelings about Brady, of course. But for those interested, he averaged nearly 13 points and four and a half boards in four summer league games for Atlanta. Anyway, next we have a clip from Casey Frank after that, extolling the virtues of Will McDowell-White's point guard skills. And then we'll return to your regularly scheduled pre-recorded clips. Now, we'd be remiss to not ask you about Kai Soto, who has a very big following in our league from the Filipino community and the sure. Aussie and New Zealand fans of him too. We're fans of him. He's sure. maybe, he's, there's a lot about him that makes you think he could get a shot, but do you think he has a legit shot at the NBA? I do. I think it's one of those things where fit is so important in the NBA, right? You have to find the right fit. You have to find the right team that you work with and the role that will highlight your skills. To me, he's not a 35-minute-a-game NBA player. There's a kid in Utah now named Walker Kessler, who is a backup center, but a defensive specialist, who's particularly long, and he's found in his rookie year a role. Uh, and that role is largely paved by the fact that Rudy Gobert's not there now. So there's an open well, thing for him to get he? minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now yeah. he's he's got that spot. And he's got those backup minutes, and all he has to do is produce in those minutes. I think Kai Sato has to find, if he wants to get to the NBA, and I suppose everybody does, if he wants to get to the NBA and stick, it's important to find the right role in a team that recognizes his particular skills and a team that is willing to be patient. Um, patience is so important with the development of players. And look, Brady Manick, he, he sort of turned good, but there wasn't a lot of patience. Jock Landell is really good this year. He wasn't really good last year in San Antonio. He was he was good enough. He made the team. I know, I know, I know it was close on him making that team, but um, he made it. And now the patience has paid off for the Phoenix Suns because he's a terrific role player there and maybe turning into more. So I just think it's fit. I think it's patience. And I think the other thing that I stressed particularly with Brady Manick is confidence. Once you start seeing positive results, you start to grow as a player, you start to take more chances and you have more success. And I circling it back, I hope to see that for Luke Travers too soon. Now, one other guy that I think we've heard you mention as a possible NBA player, Will McDowell-White, run us through, I guess, your case for him being an NBA player. And great to see him re-signing with the breakers too. True, yeah. Really uh, appreciated his relationship with Modi. Those two guys seem to get a lot out of each other. 
you know, he's got great size, first of all, foremost, you know, with that 6'4 frame and the strength that he has over it. He can see over a lot of guys deceptively quick. So that size defensively also helps him stay in front and be a physical defender. But what I've seen in his progression offensively since he first signed with the Breakers, you know, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat a couple of years ago from deep. He just wouldn't look at the ball. He was always just trying to create for his teammates. And the way he's developed into a step-back shooter coming off the on-ball, you know, he's shooting in the high 30s as the pick-and-roll ball handler coming off and shooting that three with the ball in hand. When you've got make you become that kind of threat with the runner, the depth of the runner being able to hit that shot to keep defenses honest and still turn into a lob passer at the same time that he showed off with Derek Parton. I mean, those are just really transferable NBA skills when you're working on NBA offense in the pick and roll game. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's the great scores, you know, when you can drop, you know, 25, 30 overseas, that's not what an NBA team's going to ask you to do. We saw what uh, Xavier Cooks did to the league all season long and he gets to Washington and you're, you're a role player. So, uh, I'm looking at the the skill set that William McDowell White has, you know, to come in, be a backup point guard, run those second units where he can really keep defenses honest uh, with, with his shot, with his size, he can stand up defensively and possibly, you know, find a little advantage there. And with that runner, you know, really become a threat for, for teams that have that lob threat as well. So just the skill set to me really speaks of a guy who can play at that level. You know, you never know, only 400 dudes get to do it. And so, so a lot of guys may come close, but to me, he's got all the tools. I think he would be a really, really interesting guy to watch in one of those NBL, NBA crossovers. So I don't know, are the Breakers involved in any of those this year? I, I, I can't remember. They've got, got a little two-week break, I believe. Uh, so they start the season off and then they shoot over for a couple. Awesome. Oh, that'd be good. They give him a chance to, to really ball out and show America what he's got. Great opportunity, obviously, those NBA games. I think uh, the coaching staff and the players might wish they happened in the preseason before, <laughs> instead of just after the yeah. season started. But uh, you get them where you can. Now, the last one we thought we should mention, and you've already alluded to him a little bit here in Perth, is Keanu Pinder, because he's generated some buzz as another bloke who has an NBA shot. Let's start with Alex, who saw him firsthand in Cairns, before some brief thoughts from Casey Frank. But if I just focus on Keanu, for instance, like this is the guy that nobody wanted, including myself, two years ago or three years ago, you know, that year in Adelaide, we all said... Oh, gee, he's super athletic. It's a shame that he can't finish. It's a shame there's no polish to his game. Nobody wanted to pick him up. Coach Ford saw an opportunity and had some knowledge about his work ethic and all that stuff and, and wanted to give him a chance. And somehow, some way, this guy, this dude, finds a level of polish and a level of finish and turns into an absolute stud within one year. Two points going up to 11 points a game. Most improved. Are you serious? Nobody wanted him the year before. You don't just get touch. Like players don't just get touch around the rim and, and suddenly find a way to finish. Like that doesn't happen. You, you've either, you've got hooves for hands and you can't have any touch at all. You know, you see those guys like, ooh, ooh, that's a bit of an ugly shot. But the finesse required and the skill set required for that level of finish and that level of polish is crazy because it's turned around within the space of nine, 12 months. And then to back it up, to go from 11 points a game to six, 17 points a game. That's crazy. Like that's crazy to go back to back most improved. So now it's the next level. The athleticism matched the level of polish, the level of finish. And now he's this absolute stud. And this is a guy it's not Pinder. This is Keanu forging his own path. And there's a big difference. I think he's fatigued from transgressions of, of previous name with Pinder. Um, he's forging his own path, make no mistake about that. And he's really mature uh, and, and he's a really good character. Like he's a really good character that I, I think is a is great role model type stuff for the kids. And uh, I think it's perfect position for him in Perth. He, he'll love it. He's already spoken about how good it feels to be over there amongst friends and family. And I think he's ready for a really good year. Keanu Pinder, I think with his athleticism, has the ability to get to that level. If he shoots the ball like he did early in the season, he might be able to catch on. It's all about those three men. I think that's what teams are really looking for in the NBA and what the NBL league has shown that it's got the ability to develop those swings, you know, the, those wings. That's, that seems to be the pathway. I mean, Keanu's kind of an interesting one, isn't he? Uh, you think there's so many guys that have been able to get across and make their way to the NBA that maybe don't feel like Jason Tate, for example. I never really 
I didn't feel like he was a bad player. I never, I just never felt like he was a guy who would be as successful in the NBA. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Yep. He just felt like a guy who was probably going to sit on the bench a lot. And again, right place being in Houston, obviously a lot of opportunity there. But yeah, I think if Keanu could find an opportunity like that, the same way that Xavier Cooks has as well over in Washington, you could potentially do that. But if they put him on a team where he's really not going to see much court time, whether it be like a Golden State or you know, Boston or something like that, then maybe it's not worth his time. Now, Keanu's a bit older. He's about 27, I believe. So obviously, he's not going to be drafted. But we've seen guys like Xavier Cooks, Jock Landau. We've seen a number of those guys kind of, I guess, maybe heading into their well, peak. Do-up Reith, just done that with Portland. Do-up Reith. Guys heading into their peak as kind of late 20s players getting an NBA opportunity. We talked about progress. It's quite amazing. And Alex alluded to this as well. But it's really quite amazing to look at the stats. So in his first year with Adelaide, five points nearly and four rebounds in about 17 minutes in 35 games. Next season in Cairns, 22 minutes, nearly 11 points and seven and a half rebounds in 28 games. And then last season, prior to an injury, 17 points and nearly nine and a half boards in nearly 30 minutes. Again, keeping in mind their 40-minute games here in Australia for FIBA. So it's incredible how quickly his star has risen. And it's not outside the realms of possibility to think that if he has a good season here, again, with a lot of eyes on guys like Saar, so there might be a little bit more attention on Perth than had there not been an X-star, there's every reason to believe that he could get a shot. Oh, absolutely, he could. And again, it just comes down to the right situation. Adelaide was horrible for him. He had terrible coaching. I think it was might have been a Joey Wright team. I just don't think the focus was on him doing the right things. He was shooting a lot of threes, which is not his game. He goes up to Cairns. He gets better opportunities. They put him in positions where he... Around can, the basket. Yeah, he can play to his strengths. And that's where you've seen our most improved player the last two seasons. Absolutely. Yeah, so, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, look, I, I'm incredibly excited to have him here for as long as we do. And look, if he gets a shot, then full power to him. Amen. All right, sure you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, I mean, the obvious place to start is a massive shout out to Liam Santamaria and the countless hours of work that he has put into this next star program it's really you look at where it started and where it is now we're basically at a stage where pretty much every team either has one or is looking for one which is just an amazing thing for the league and thank you to him alex Bo, and casey as well for joining us yeah just an incredible look at some incredible players an exciting season ahead more guests next week until then i'm nate and i'm Stu. we are the sportplex